The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. If you were here last week, we said that Jesus was obviously a good teacher. He had some very revolutionary ideas that he needed people who were heavily ingrained in one way of thinking to understand. Uh, They were backwards ideas. They were ideas that most people would think were crazy, like if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. If you want to be the greatest, you need to be the least of all. Those are ideas that make absolutely no sense. And those are concepts that are hard to explain. So Jesus would sometimes be very direct. Here's what you need to know. But then other times he would teach in these stories or these parables to try to get across a kingdom concept. And it is no different here. But before we jump into Mark chapter 4, you need to understand the context of what's been going on in Jesus' life. He's very, very early in his ministry. Probably just a few weeks, honestly. He's called his disciples, but he has become a superstar in Galilee. He came in, he preached in a synagogue, he heals someone. People are like, that's interesting. Next day, same synagogue, he's preaching. It's on the Sabbath though this day. You're not supposed to heal anyone he heals. He starts taking on the Pharisees. Those are religious leaders. So he's already got some fans and he's already got some enemies. Right right out of the gate. Goes to Peter's house, heals his mother-in-law. People are crammed in so tight that his disciples can't even get in to hear him. He's teaching. They really are coming because of his healing power more than his teaching, but he takes the opportunity to teach. In the beginning of Mark chapter 4, he's just had an encounter with these Pharisees where they're, they're saying, you're Beelzebub, man. You're a, you're a demon. Only a demon could do what you're doing. You, you cannot be of God. You've got to be of Satan. And Jesus teaches them a parable. He's like, a house divided cannot stand. How could Satan be casting out Satan? That makes no sense. So I'm clearly not of Satan. You guys aren't thinking this through clearly. And so he's got these people that don't like him. He's got a huge fan base of people that do love him, probably for what he can give them. And he has this opportunity now at the beginning of Mark chapter four uh, to teach. So let's look at the first two verses. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. This is something he's been doing quite frequently. The crowd that gathered around was so large that he got into a boat. In Mark chapter two, it says that they always had Peter's boat on hand for just this problem. He's he's backed up against the water. People are crowding in. Now, why are they crowding in? Because they want to touch him or him to touch them so they'd be healed. So they hop in the boat, go out a few feet, 50, 60 feet. Water amplifies your voice very well. So they got in a boat, he sat out in it on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teachings, this is what he said. Verse three, listen up. Big crowd, got to get their attention. I'm about to say something you should listen to. Listen up. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, if you read the New Testament, you think everyone was a fisherman, right? Everyone fished. And on the Sea of Galilee, that was the case. A lot of people did fish, but really that region is very agricultural. Okay, so the likelihood that there were many, many farmers in the audience that day is very, very high. And Jesus is smart enough to go, hey, you you ag people, FFA patches out there, you'll understand what I'm trying to say here. Uh, let's, Let's do it. A farmer, he goes out, he's gonna spread seed in his field. As he was scattering the seed, some of it fell along the path or the road, and the birds, they came and ate it up quick. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It, it, it took, it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants, they were scorched and they withered because they had 
no root. Luke adds in his telling of the story, no moisture. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, and they choked out the plants so that they did not bear grain. The thorns or the weeds, there's too much other vegetation going on. And still other seed fell on really good fertile soil. It came up, it grew, it produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. And then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So you've got these four different types of soil. The seed is scattered on all of it with differing results, right? Now, if you're the farmer, there's a couple things that you're immediately going to think. You're going to think, one, why would the farmer not cultivate the soil first? Why, why would he be scattering these seeds on path and in rocks and with weeds in the field? Why would he not do that? Someone maybe even shouted out, hey, this that farmer's horrible at his job. And Jesus says, let he who has ears to hear, listen. Basically saying, you're, you're spot on. And that, that's exactly right. And others are gonna be saying, man, he, that farmer is not very good with where he places the seed. He, he needs to keep it on the good soil. Why, why would he be doing this? Why would he be so flippant with the seed? And Jesus goes, exactly. And everyone's like, What? What? I don't understand why the farmer would do this. I don't understand your story, man. Maybe you, maybe you need to try it a different way. And Jesus went alone with just his disciples, said, the reason you don't understand this story is because you gotta have faith to get it. You gotta have faith to understand it. You gotta have an open set of ears and an open mind and an open heart in particular. Got to have faith to understand this. Verses 10 through 12. When he is alone with the 12 and a few others around him, they ask him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. And you know they're sitting there feeling really good for a second. They're like, yeah, it sure has. And then they go, but what is it? Something about a farmer who doesn't know how to scatter seed. I'm not sure if I get this right now. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. He told them, but to those on the outside, everything has to be said in parables. He's talking about the Pharisees there. They don't have open ears. They don't have open minds. They dang sure don't have open hearts. To those on the outside, I've got to kind of keep it veiled like this. So they may be ever seen, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. That is a direct quote from Isaiah 6. Verses 9 and 10, he's quoting the Old Testament. When you first read that, you're like, whoa, that's not right. That is not how God works. God is loving and he forgives all. And the answer is absolutely yes. He's not saying he doesn't want that to happen. He's saying it just can't happen. Because their hearts, they're not ready for it. They're here to catch me in my every word. They're here to arrest me and ultimately kill me. Jesus knows that. And he says, unless something changes, unless they come to faith, unless they start to believe that I do know what I'm talking about and I am the key to the kingdom of God, they're never going to hear, they're never going to understand, they're never going to turn and be forgiven. But then he goes on to explain it, luckily. Those disciples are sitting there going, I'm still not sure, 
Am I deceived? Am I not the one hearing what's, what's going on? And he says, all right, there were four types of soil. You remember? So the first of all, the path of the road, verses 13 through 15. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? And you know a few of them were like, uh-huh, yeah, completely. Then <laughs> you got like John going, no, I really didn't. <laughs> if you could if clarify, that'd be great. How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. And you know, then like Peter's like, I knew that, I knew that. And the seed was the word, of course. What else could it have been? Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes in and takes away the word that was sown in them. These people, their hearts, they have no desire for the word of God. It just can't penetrate because they don't want it to. And they want to make sure, they want to make sure that it does not sink in. And what does Satan love about this type of soil, about this type of person? It's real easy to come in and just snatch that up and go, oh, you don't want to believe that. Oh, there's so many things wrong with what you were just told. Oh, this is terrible. You don't, you don't want to have anything to do with it. Satan comes in immediately and he snatches up that seed. This is the person who very smugly blows off all things having to do with God. They don't want to hear it. Now, this is where we get very judgy, but I give you permission as long as you don't hold this in condemnation. But go ahead and picture someone in your mind that has told you or that you know is just like, I don't want anything to do with God. You try and bring it up and they're just like, nah, I would rather you put that right back in your pocket. You, you, you are talking to a brick wall here. It was fun. Very, very early in my ministry, I had a grandmother come to me about a child or a young man in my youth ministry, and she's just like, my grandson just doesn't want anything to do with God. Can you, will you meet with him? And I'm fresh out of Bible college. I'm like, yep, I sure will. We're in, this kid's going to know Jesus. I got all the skills to pay the bills. So we sit down for three hours. I gave him, oh, I drew pictures. There was, there, there was illustration. I spoke in parables. Uh, I, I quoted scripture. We read the Bible. I get done. I'm just like, hey, what do you think? He's like, can't stand it. I said, oh, maybe you misunderstood. Like, I did that really well. Um, <laughs> I, I really, really laid out an, an impenetrable argument for why you need Jesus. He's like, I don't care. I said, well, I can't take you back home because your grandma is going to be mad at me. So I need you. I need you to get this. I need, I need you to understand this. And he finally just looked at me and said, quit pushing me. And I went, oh. Now, I mean, obviously I was joking. Like, I, I don't think I was perfect in that. But I really do think I put a compelling argument out there for the need for Jesus. I prayed about it, like I and asking the Holy Spirit to, to move. And that one, that one stung. That one stung for a while. If I can't, if I can't get a 15-year-old kid to understand this, how am I gonna preach? How am I gonna do that? But sometimes seed falls on a path. Sometimes the seed falls amongst rocks. Verses 16 and 17. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. 
This is great. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly, or the word there is immediately, fall away. They receive it with joy and love it, and they're all about Jesus until life gets hard. The first time life gets hard, they say, whoa, we had an agreement, Jesus. You're, I'm supposed to be good to go, and this is not good at all. So I am out. You failed me. Same ministry. The first person I baptized First person I personally like led to Christ and baptized was a college girl. She was on fire for the Lord for about six weeks. So her boyfriend broke up with her because he didn't like the new her. I'm like, this is good. He's a schmuck. Like he, I was trying to get you to break up with him a long time. Like he is horrible for you. But to her, there was obviously a lot of security there. She came from a non-Christian family. She went home after being baptized, not to a celebratory lunch, to a mother who goes, I can't believe you've made the worst decision in your life. It fell amongst the rocks. And it wasn't too much longer down the road that that young lady decided she didn't believe. That was hard. There was a guy at this church a college student here, came to faith in high school late, came to the University of Oklahoma, read every book you could read about Jesus. Preaching the gospel, he was in a ministry group. I hand-selected a dozen students from our college ministry and, and worked, walked with him for an entire semester, poured into this kid. About a year after that, he decided he knew too much about God he was too smart for this and that he needed to walk away. Interesting. No root. No root to weather the storm, the suffering, the emotion, the doubt, knowledge. No root. Third type of seed fell amongst the weeds, or the thorns, 18 and 19. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, oh, does that make anyone prickle? The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, Jesus, back off. Is he, is he writing in the first century in Galilee or in Oklahoma City? In 2019, the seed is taken, but there are these worries of life. There's this deceit of money, of wealth, and the desires for other things. Can you be specific, Jesus? Don't need to be. Just a passion for things that are not the Lord. Nothing individually horrible or bad, but put all that together. These other things, they come in and they choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Boy, we talked about that a lot in Titus, didn't we? About a person who follows the Lord needing to bear fruit, needing to be fruitful. 
And when the things of this world, the worries of this life, money, different desires, when they come in, they choke out the fruitfulness of it. The word has taken root. It's growing. It's producing nothing, though. It's an interesting thing. The evils of this world choke it out. Jesus is not talking about the occasional worrier. He's talking about the person who looks at life, even with God, and goes, there's still no hope. And that's, that's what he's talking about. The, the, even with God, I, I just don't see there being any hope. He's not talking about the person who has money. He's talking about the person who anchors themselves in their money. So it's not about being rich or poor. It's about where you find your security and your worth. And the pleasures of this world... While money, sex, power, all those things can honestly be redeemed and used for God, they oftentimes are not. And it's scary. It's scary because I think what Jesus is saying is this third type of seed is going to look really good. But it's not real. And if I can be candid about the American church. It's easy to look good without any realness. But there's a fourth type of soil. Verse 20. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop. They bear fruit. 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Now, for you non-ag people, it is not uncommon for a crop to produce a 30-fold return. 60 would be nearly unheard of. 100 times is impossible. And any farmer in that crowd would have thought that. That's impossible. And then Jesus would look at his disciples and say, without God, yep, but nothing is impossible with him. And for anyone in this room right now who you're thinking about your child, who may be one of these types of seeds that's not the fourth one, if you're thinking about your spouse, if you're thinking about a neighbor, a coworker, a loved one, and you're like, well, what if they're the first type? This is, this is never gonna work. Nothing is impossible for God. Don't ever forget that. Nothing is impossible for God. So what makes for good fertile soil? What, ma- what makes this good soil? I, that's cur- I'm curious. How would one have good soil? I think it takes a completely open heart and mind and a true love for the things of the Lord. That's fertile soil. They're gonna receive the word of God and be like, all right, this may not be the easiest teaching, but you know what? I'm open to it. My heart's there for it. And I love God. I love his things and I wanna be about him. I think that soil will produce great fruit, great crops. That soil, the key to that fourth type of soil, and this is where I wanna land today, that soil needs to be cultivated, Remember right after you heard the parable, you're like, that, why'd the farmer not go out and get the soil ready first? Why'd he just start throwing seed? Because that's how the kingdom of God works. God, God is willing to 
Let his word be spread to anyone, but the one who will receive it and produce this great crop is the one who has cultivated their heart, who has cultivated their soil. So I ask you this question, church, no matter where you're at, okay? This is, this is a fair question for anyone in the room, and I want to remind you you're in a safe place, okay? But I ask you this question. How are you cultivating your heart currently to receive the word of God or more broad the things of God? How are you working your soil to make sure that you're willing to hear and receive the word of God? First thing that is essential, okay, first thing that's essential to a cultivated heart is faith. You have to believe. The first type of soil will never believe because they don't believe, (laughs) That has to change first. You have to believe. You have to have faith. So that's, that's the first and most important ingredient in cultivated or fertile soil. You have to have faith, but there's also the need for openness. I believe diligence. You ever run real hard, real fast after God for about one day, and then you're like, I'm, I'm going to take a break. It takes diligence. There has to be a desire. This is the beautiful thing, though, about desire for the Lord is that it's self-fulfilling. The more you desire him, the more you receive of him, and the more you want more of him. Okay, that, that's the nice thing about desire, but you gotta have the initial desire for the things of God. There needs to be a love, as I've already said. There needs to be just this love for God. And why do we love him? Because he first loved us. So it's a response to the good news. It's a response to the gospel. So openness, diligence, desire, love. I'm sure there's some other things that make for fertile soil, but it's all about continually cultivating. The one mistake that I think people make, though, you hear something like this, you're like, all right, I cultivate. I'm gonna, how am I going to cultivate my heart? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm I'm to start reading Start reading some good Christian books. I'm going to listen to Caleb only. I'm going to you know, make a pact to read the Bible in a year. In my experience, it is rare, not impossible, but it is rare for the things of God to be learned. They need to be experienced. Okay? It's not impossible to read a book on forgiveness and then just understand how much God has forgiven you. It's not impossible. But it is far more likely that that's going to take root if you are forgiven. If you are shown mercy. The things of God need to be experienced. The only way to experience God is to press into him. I told you about the guy from our college ministry here that walked away. It's, it's terrifying to me how some of the smartest people some of the ones who know the most about God walk away from him. And I, I think the common denominator, I think the reason is, is because they know a lot about God, but they don't know him. What's the best way to cultivate your heart? What's the best way to have fertile soil? Is to seek him, to love him, to want more of him. As the band comes back up here. I want to reread, I want to reread the quote from Isaiah. They may be ever seen, but never 
perceiving. They may be ever hearing, they're listening, but they don't understand. Let me switch it just one little bit. Because if they did see and perceive, if they did hear and understand, if they got it, if they saw God and his kingdom and his goodness, then they would turn and be forgiven. If they did experience him, they would see, oh, by cracky, this is incredible. So, how are you cultivating your heart to receive the things of God? If your soil is more like the path, you need to soften your heart. You need to ask the Lord to soften your heart. If there's someone you know like that, you need to pray, God, soften their heart. If you're like the rocky soil, you need to start kicking them rocks out your garden. Well, what are the rocks? You're speaking in parables now. They're the obstacles that you have to growth. More than likely, they're probably idols. They're things that you're not really willing to give up for God. If you're like the thorns or the weeds, then you need to start pulling some weeds. That would be sin. I'm not saying sinners don't come to grace. That's how the, the, the gospel works. But if you're having trouble bearing fruit, then you need to look, is it because of the amount of weeds in my garden, in my soil? Or do you just need to say, thank you, Jesus, for the fertile soil that is my heart that I know you have worked in me and that I try to cultivate every day because I get to just keep producing fruit. As we respond today, um, we're gonna take communion corporately here in a few moments so that it's not out today. We're gonna take it corporately. But there's gonna be people up here that would love to pray with you, that would just love to pray with you about your heart. Anything, really. Anything you got going on, any obstacles. Like, I, I, wanna, I wanna cultivate my heart, but there's just... There's junk that I want to talk about. There's things that I seem to be missing. Or if there's others, if there's others in your life that you want to pray for, that, that the word of God, that the seed of God would take root in their heart. If you want to pray for them, we'd love to do that because nothing's impossible with God. But today, let's, let's hear the word and let's, let's respond to it. And so, Father, with open hearts, open minds, may we hear and understand, may we see and perceive that you are good. May we turn from our wicked ways and be forgiven by you, be cultivated by you into a fruit-bearing follower of Christ. That is our heart's desire to come and work, come and move. Come and give us a victory in our lives over sin, over obstacles. Soften the hearts of others, Lord, that, that need to know you. You are incredible, God, and you're so good, so we know you're gonna move. Do so in a mighty way now. It's your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. And let's respond to him.